So we're resuming. I hope you've read chapter one and two or some of it, just to get a bit of an idea, so I don't have to do all of the 10 or 15 sermons we had before we got to this place. So we're going to dive straight into chapter two, verses 19, and we're just going to cover 19 to 24, I think, this morning, just a, a few verses. So, hey, let me begin. Let me tell you about a, a movie. Uh, I was talking to Charlie earlier, and just saying, uh, one of my recreations or wind down of an evening after everything's quiet, if I'm not working, and just to watch something, just as a distraction. Uh, I recall watching The Bisensual Man, Robin Williams. Has anyone seen that? It's an extraordinary story of a robot who, who has ongoing developments, enhancements, over 200 years until he eventually becomes almost human. And his goal is to be accepted as a human. But a chief characteristic of, I forget his name, but bisensual man, is that he's designed to serve. It's his default position. And so one of his common phrases is, one is pleased to be of service. One is pleased to be of service. And it's a beautiful film. It's worth a watch. And I tell you that, and I've lost my notes, I tell you that if they come back, uh, because it sums, up, it sums up something of what's going on in our passage here that he was pleased to be of service. We're going to see two characters this week and next week. You'd be pleased we're not having them in one go. Okay, two sermons. Timothy and Epaphroditus. Both of them are given here by Paul in way of example. That's all we're going to look at together. Both of them are given to us here in way of example. Here's what a commentator says. Both Timothy and Epaphroditus exhibit the qualities of those who conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, especially by looking not only to their own interest, but also to the interests of others. That's what this is about. So let me just, just a bit of theological jargon. When we're reading the scriptures, it's very important that we distinguish the type of genre we're engaging with. So far, most of the epistles, most of the letters, and this one for certain, uh, well, which one is it? It's Philippians, okay, are what we call uh, didactical. It means that teaching, that telling us what to do, okay? Paul is now moving from that type of literature to descriptive or narrative. He's now going to talk for the next few verses about something going on, about some people who do some travelling. So it's a change of genre, is going from what we more commonly refer to in theological circles, is going from descriptive, or rather, is going another way, is going from prescriptive to descriptive. Can you see? Prescriptive? You have to have your teeth in to say that. Telling us what to do, prescriptive. You go to the doctor, he tells you what to do in a little sleep, which you take somewhere and they give you some medicine. He's going from prescriptive to descriptive. And you can see what that sounds like. He's now going from telling you what to do to telling you something about events, about circumstances. He's going to tell you about Timothy, Epaphroditus, about himself. And it's very important to understand the change because he's no longer telling you what to do. And it's really important in Scripture when we read it that we don't take stories of description of events and make major doctrines out of them. Do you see what I'm saying? There's a book in the New Testament which is almost all descriptive. Which book would that be? There's a book of the New Testament which is almost all descriptive and we have to be careful making doctrines from that book 
What book is it? It begins with an A. That is one, two. There's two then. There's two. Acts. Okay? Acts is a history of the church. It's describing events. We have to be very careful making, you've got to do this from books that are not telling you you've got to do this. Can you see the point? It's a book that's telling you what's happening. That's very different to a book that's telling you do this. Paul's epistles generally are prescriptive. They tell you to do something. Luke's Acts is a book that is descriptive. It's explaining something. Now we can learn stuff about what we should be doing, but what we can't say about Acts is you've got to do that. Let me give you one here. We can't say from Acts that you get converted and have an impact with the Spirit subsequently. Because Acts doesn't say that. It demonstrates an episode of it. Can you see the point? But you can't make doctrine just from events. If the Bible says you must get converted and you must have a second experience after your conversion, if Paul wrote that, then that will be a doctrine. And so that's what's going on here in Timothy, uh, in Philippians. He's saying, he's telling you what to do, up to verse 18 of chapter 2, and from verse 19, he's telling you about himself. He's telling you, which means we've got to take it cautiously before we can start saying, for example, I'm not going to say to Michael, Michael, I'm going to send you to go and visit X in prison. Okay, because that's not what he's doing. He's explaining his circumstances. So we're going to handle it with some caution. But here's something I'm going to say, is that we can learn something from descriptive texts. You can learn lots from Acts, you know, uh, but we won't follow Acts down to, down to a T. We're not all going to live together. Okay, who wants to live with him? Okay, sorry, Michael. We're not all going to live together. We're not going to all sell our property. Well, you can, Bron, and we, we can share it if you want to. But Acts is not telling you to do that. It's describing that. And so whatever Paul says here, he's not telling you something. In Philippians, he's describing something. But nevertheless, that's truths you can learn from descriptive texts. And we're going to learn something from Timothy and Epaphroditus about the description of what they're doing. We're going to learn, and we're going to learn it by attaching it to Scripture. Bear with me and we'll see where this goes. That was a long time. That was meant to be in one minute. Bit there, mate. So this is going to be a bit longer than I planned. Let me move on. So we're looking at a descriptive text explaining what's happening. We're going to take a point. Our point is this. The gospel calls for self-disinterest in Jesus' service. The gospel calls for self-disinterest in Jesus' service. And we're looking at Timothy today, Epaphroditus next week. Verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. Do you remember where Paul is? He's banged up. He's he's banged up. He's got no access to information. He's got Timothy and Epaphroditus. What do you think their roles are? Just have a guess. They They are couriers of information and support. Companionship. But he says he's going to send Timothy to them soon. Soon, because he still needs him just now. But before Timothy goes, Timothy's job is going to be to bring information backwards and forwards. Epaphroditus, we'll see next time, has done an errand and is going back for good, back to his people. He's going to, Epaphroditus is going to go first with a letter. 
Timothy he's going to send later after the letter. So for now he's telling them he's going to send Timothy not now but soon. Epaphroditus will turn up with the letter. He wants some news. They want some news. I mean we, we take it for granted. Look we've been talking about the Ukraine. We know a lot. We know far more about what happens in, even in war today than any other generations before us because of technology. There wasn't, we know, don't we? there wasn't any Zoom, there wasn't any internet, and the only way you got info was by a physical, human, personal courier. And that's what's going to happen here with Timothy and Epaphroditus, well, with Timothy at least. Notice what he says about the church here. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy soon, okay, after you get the letter. So you would have read this before Timothy gets to you. Okay, and then, I'm, and then because I want some news from Timothy, and the news I want from Timothy, I hope, is going to cheer me, or I'll be cheered when I receive the news. So he's telling the church here that when Timothy gets to them and then gets back to Paul, that the news he takes back to Paul is going to cheer him up. What kind of news do you think he wants? Paul is expecting Timothy to take some news to cheer him up. I thought Elliot was putting his hand up then, but he's not. He wasn't with me. That's okay. Okay, what, what, what do you think he wants to hear? Yes! And he's hoping he's going to get some positive news. In, and precisely, remember, this little descriptive verses follow some strong prescriptive verses in chapter 2, 1 to 18. So it's natural what Paul wants to hear is that the things he's told them to do in 1 to 18, he... He wants to be certain that they're doing it. That's what he's saying here. I want to be cheered, which means, in, in, a, in, a, in a nice way, you better, be, you better listen to me, okay? And you better be doing it. And I'm looking at you, okay? Says Paul, <laughs> okay? Look, here's what a commentator says. His statement is both an encouragement to the Philippians not to disappoint his expectations and a realistic appraisal of their spiritual maturity. He's expecting there's going to be good news. He believes that Timothy, when he gets back to him, will tell Paul, hey Paul, everything you wrote in 1 to 18, they're doing. They're listening. They're being transformed by God's word. So expectation and a gentle, <laughs> I better get some good news from you. Okay? I better get some good news about you. Next, it, it, he tells us now in more detail exactly why he's sending Timothy. I mean, he could, have, he could have sent anybody as a courier. Look, you know what it's like with, when you send someone to some, some news? If it's just to pick up a parcel, I'll send Matt. You know, it doesn't take a lot, of, a lot more effort, does it, than to just go and pick something up. Now, I'm sure Matt could do a little bit more than just pick up a parcel. He's going to mess up my PowerPoint now, isn't he? In retaliation. <laughs> I can see it. Okay, but look, it, it, but if you want some, something done of some skill set, you choose who you send. Paul didn't just send Timothy just to send information back and forward. He sent him specifically because he suited the task. And that's what we're going to look at very shortly. Look, verses 20 and 21. For I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not for those of Christ Jesus. That's the money text of this, of these, of Timothy's, uh, of the verses covering Timothy. I'm going to come back to them. If I don't come back to these, will someone wake me up? 
because that's the bulk of the sermon, okay? All right, don't just sneak off home thinking, oh, phew, we got away early, he forgot, the, he forgot to preach what he's really meant to preach. Just remind me, would you? We're going to come back to those, but I want to move on to verse 22 uh, for now. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. It's not by chance. It's by design that he sends Timothy. Timothy has completed his probationary period in this church, as our Bible reader recorded, learned today. We don't have probationary periods. You just get to do it, okay? Timothy has done his probation. He's served well. He's proved to be a son of Paul. We don't use that terminology. You know, you know Brenton may say to me, son, and I'll say, I'm not your son. Okay, we don't tend to use that except sometimes in a derogative sense, son. You know, if he said that to me, what he's trying to tell me is, I'm up here and you're down there, son. Okay, it's not like that in New Testament terminology. It's a place of honor. To call someone son meant that person was following in your footstep. I mean, he'd he'd learned from you. Not only had he learned from you. He, he had, he had, he had uh, accelerated and attained a position equal to you. It's why when we talk about Jesus as being God's son, you know we don't really mean he's God's son, don't you? you know, and this is where some religious circles out there get completely and awfully wrong. We don't really mean that God has a son like you have a son. What that term means is that he does what his father does. That's what that term, the son of God, means. It means he does what his father does perfectly. And I'll give you an example. In Back in Jesus' day, if, if you, and this is where some of our surnames come from. Let me, you know, back in Jesus' day, if you were a blacksmith, what would your son, as soon as he reaches 12, do? He would be a blacksmith. At the age of 12, you take him into the family business. You train him to do everything you're doing, to, to, to warm the furnace up in the way you're doing, to add a certain amount of coal. You train him, and he would watch you. He would learn from you. He would practice what you're doing, and eventually acquire skills equal to you. He's your son. It's why back in the olden days, you would have a surname like uh, Smith. Thank you. He meant that your father was a blacksmith. And you therefore became a blacksmith. These days, if your father was a blacksmith, you'd probably run from that, do something completely different. We just live in a society like that. But back then, you followed after your father's footsteps. That's why Jesus is God's son. He does what God does. Like create planets. Like give dead people life. Can you see the point? And can you see what you're saying about the son? He doesn't just do what his father does. He's equal with the father. And so when Paul, come back to our passage, or look, I I was going to give you an example just very quickly. The reason we know what Jesus did for a living is because we know what his dad did for a living. And the text is there. And so coming to Timothy, coming to Timothy, when Paul says he, look, uh, uh, but you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the gospel. What's he saying about Timothy? He's not his real son. What's he saying about Timothy? 
he's, he's, he's learned from Paul and he's excelled and he's equal to Paul. That Timothy, having Timothy in that church is almost equivalent to having Paul in that church. He's, he's excelled to that level. He's his son. He follows after him. He represents him. He speaks for him. He works like him. And so then, it's in that sense, Timothy, the reason Paul has chosen Timothy, number one, is because Timothy represents Paul almost imperfectly. Almost perfectly. He represents him as a father and son. And so, so and thus, Paul says in 23 and 24, I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. So Paul at this juncture is in prison. Okay, He's sending Timothy because he represents him. He's sending him first and he suggests here, look, and I am and I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. What do you think that phrase means? Have a think about it. I am confident in the Lord. He's going to send Timothy, but he's in prison. But what it says here, but I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. What's Paul saying? Yeah. And why does, he, why does he say he'll be free, Graham? Yes. He says, I am confident in the Lord that I myself will be free. Can you see what he's saying? He's saying, I've got a sense from God that I'm going to be released. That's what he's saying here. This is, this is, look, I haven't got time. To, I, I was going to add 10 minutes into the sermon, but I didn't think you'd like it, Nikki. And I talk about guidance. I won't. But effectively, he's saying here, I've received some guidance from God. Well, I, well, he's actually saying it's tentative. I'm confident. That's not certain, is it? He's saying, I strongly believe I've heard from God. Can I say something to you? And I wasn't going to do this, but I'm just going to do it anyway. You know, uh, uh, quickly. Avoid saying, please, God told me to do this. I hear that and I, I cringe. I mean, it's absurd. There is no way... You can know with certainty that God told you something. There's no way you can say that. Because what, is Paul, what does Paul tell the Galatians? Even if a spirit, an angel from heaven speaks to you, don't. And says something otherwise, don't believe him. You can never be certain. Oh, look, I'm sorry if I'm diffusing your bubble. Okay, You can never be certain God's told you something. You can never be certain he wasn't the devil disguising himself as God. You can never be certain he wasn't your own desires. You can never be certain he wasn't just some weird voice in your head. Okay? The best you can do is what's the best you can do when you think you've heard from God? What does Paul do? And, the, and he's the greatest apostle that ever lived. What's the best you can do? Yeah. You can say something like there's degrees. You can say something like, you know, I think God's saying this to me. You can say something like, you know, I'm fairly sure this is what God wants me to do. We can even say, and this is the best you can do, don't ever go beyond that. I feel really confident this is what God is saying. Can you see the point? You know, you know, and because you're leaving room then to, you know, maybe it wasn't God, just maybe it wasn't, maybe it was. Do that with you. You feel God has led you, just say, I really feel really confident that God is speaking to me, leading me guiding me and then let God's word unfold and so Paul has some sense look here's the thing about Paul 
he had some very strong senses about God leading him. In 2 Timothy 4, he felt quite strongly that his time was ending. And there he says, doesn't he, he's, he's run the race. It's clear at that time, he was forced into imprisonment at that time, and it was clear they were going to execute him. Paul knew, and it's maybe it wasn't even probably guidance from the Lord, he heard the talk in the cells that he was due on the chopping block. So sometimes, obviously, we can know what our fate is. So at this point, so Paul is fairly confident that he's going to be released from jail. And in fact, he is released soon after. And then it's six years later that he's back in when he loses his life. And he says, I'm confident that I'll be with you. So let's return to the verses that I was going to skip over earlier. See, I've got there. You never reminded me, Brenton. You never said, Montez, don't forget the verses. So we're going to do them, okay? Here's the verses, and this is where I want to spend just a little more time of my sermon. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ. That is some accolade. Can you see what Paul is saying of Timothy? Timothy stands apart as a real son of Paul. He shares his heart his passion, his enthusiasm, his sacrificial nature, his, his self-centered lessness that Paul has. The reason I love Paul is my hero. Of anybody who's ever lived, I love Paul more than of all the biblical characters because he is a man who is sold out to Jesus. He's an inspiration. Timothy has something of that, something of his character. Look, when he says about him here, I have no one else like him, you know, he, that, that wasn't a slur in the Philippian church. You know, he wasn't saying, you're all terrible rubbish people and Timothy's the most wonderful person. He, uh, well, I, think he's, I think he's contrasting it with some of the people that Paul has been speaking about. Remember in chapter 1, verse 15, he says, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. So I think he's contrasting himself with other workers who are self-centered and Paul is saying, I've got no one like him. Half of these guys are only preaching the gospel because they think they're going to torment me by doing it. But not Timothy. Timothy is doing it from a right heart. Notice what he says about him as he's concerned. Who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own self-interest. Can you see what sets him apart? This is why Paul has chosen him. He can send Timothy because he knows that Timothy cares little about himself and cares a lot about the church, a lot about Jesus. That's the type of person that Paul wants to work in the gospel. That's the type of person that he needs as leaders. Someone who cares little about themselves and cares a lot about the church of Jesus. We've obviously just had our elections here in South Australia. Uh, we've had a change. I'll gather from late last night when I went to bed and someone hinted at it earlier, we've got a change of... Uh, uh, premier here, and look, uh, trying to remember how to say his name. So it's uh, I've got it. Peter Malinowskis. Malinowskis, yeah. Okay, yeah. You said it a few times uh, <laughs> to get used to that one. So, so look, uh, we're, so we we got a new premier. And here's, here's the thing, and I'm not going to challenge anybody here. I've seen this in the UK. It happens every election that the people that we are voting for are almost always on the basis of what they can do for me. 
I'd also hear university students, oh, he's going to improve uh, the loan rates for students. I'm going to vote for him. And I can understand that. But principally, what's that telling me? Pardon? It's just about them. And I listen, and I'm thinking to myself, isn't anybody asking what this guy can do for my country? Or in, as far as here, what can this guy do for our state? Are we just asking what does he do for me? Or are we asking what does he do for our state? And I think that's something of what's going on here with Timothy. He's a man who isn't thinking, is he going to improve my student loan conditions? But he's a man who's asking, is he going to benefit this state as a whole? That's what Timothy's like, Paul says. That, that, that his, his, his concern is for the welfare of others above his own. And he really sums up what Timothy, Paul, wants to get across here. He's already said in chapter 2, verse 5, your attitude should be that of Jesus Christ, who was all about others. When he died on the cross, he wasn't for himself, he was for you. When he came to our planet, he wasn't for himself, he was for you. When he lived sacrificially and obeyed God's law, he wasn't for himself, he was for you, so he could be your sacrifice. And so, look... Paul tells the church at Philippi that their attitude should be the same as Jesus Christ. And then Paul sends to them a man whose attitude is like Jesus Christ because he wants them not to be selfishly ambitioned, not to be vainly conceited, rather to be humble and to put others before them, not to look for their interests, but to look for the interests of others. That's what he asked them to do. That's the prescriptive text. He, you must do this, you must do this, you must do this, you must do this. And now he takes a brave break and starts describing some mundane events. And you're thinking to yourself, who cares, Paul? What, you know, who's going to be traveling? I don't care who's going from A to B. But you have to because the reason he talks about Timothy and the reason he's going to send Timothy is because Timothy is an... And begins with an E, or A begins with an M. What are the two words? An E, or A M. What, what am I thinking of? I'm talking gibberish, aren't I? <laughs> an example, a model. Now I'm making sense, aren't I? Okay, yeah. Because yeah, when you get a foreigner, you see, they speak the language of the motherland, and obviously it's impossible to understand that, you know, 200 and odd years on. Okay? Okay? So, okay, so we send in Timothy... Because he's an example of verses 1 to 18. He's a model of 1 to 18. That's why he's sending him. He's just preached his heart out. And the issue is, like every sermon, why do I have sermon illustrations in a sermon? To give you a visual example of what I've just said. Can you see? That's what I do it. You're just thinking it's because I just fancy telling stories, don't you? He's just a storyteller. Okay? No, it's because it's a visual example. Paul has just preached his heart out verses 1 to 18, and now he's going to send Timothy as a visual example. Because Timothy sums up brilliantly all of these qualities. And he does it because he's watched it and seen it in Paul, and he does it because Jesus has rewired his heart. And here's the reality. You can't just watch us in people and become like it. Jesus has to war your heart. We're all selfish when we come to Jesus because the fall has affected us all. We are, every one of us has 
utterly, utterly selfishly minded when we come to Jesus. But what the gospel does over time, it makes us like Jesus, makes us utterly, utterly selfless. Timothy has an accelerated course in that. He's become utterly selfless. Look, look what he says of him here. He goes, I have no one else like him who showed genuine concern for your welfare. He wasn't just pretending, oh, I, you know, I like the Philippian church. And the thing is here, what you have to understand is the Philippian church had some real terrors in. Real terrors, I know what that's like. And not from the church I mean now, obviously. <laughs> okay? It had some real terrors in it. Okay? It wasn't easy to love those people. Really? And let me say this to you. There's a pastor, and you probably say this thing the same about me. We're not always easy to love. Are we? I see things, and you see things. You think, I don't think I really like that person that much. Timothy could have easily felt those things about the church of Philippi. There were some real characters in there, especially those two women who couldn't stop fighting. What do you think he wanted to do? I'll tell you what he wanted to do. He wanted to go up to them and go, I've got to. Do you know this thing here? It's just, it's, it's really my style. Okay, I've got to stand here. And he just wanted to go, bang, didn't he? But instead, what did Timothy have to do when he got there? He had to get to those two women and not say, no, because that's what he wanted to do. But he say, come here. Both of them. Hey, how are you guys doing? I've missed you guys. He expressed love to them because he didn't care for himself and he didn't care how he felt for them. He put them first. That's why he's sending him. That's why he's sending him. And he has nobody quite like Timothy in this regard. Let me just move on because I need to finish. I've got five minutes. Let me try and wrap this up. So Timothy brilliantly exhibits the qualities that Paul is trying to draw out of this church at Philippi. Okay? You've got no one like him. Timothy, there's no selfish... This is everything he's quoting in 1 to 18. In Timothy, there's no selfish ambition. There's no vain conceit. There's no self-interest. But only a self-humility, a high regard for others, genuine interest in the welfare of others, and only concern about Christ's interests and purposes. Timothy perfectly models what Paul wants the church of Philippi to do. It's why he sends him. Now let's tell it, tell it transport all the way from 2,000 years ago to 2022. What does this tell me? We're into narrative, descriptive text. So we're not taking doctrine directly from here. But we're asking what do we learn. So we learn this. That the gospel expects people to move from their default position, pre-conversion of being utterly selfish, self-minded, to a position of selfless, others-minded. And Paul does this. Remember, Paul is not just writing to them. He's writing ricochets to us. He does this through his text, and then he does it through this person, Timothy. And I want to ask you, let's forget Jesus. That sounds awful, doesn't it? You should sack me. The next preacher who says, forget Jesus, you need to fire him. Okay, we'll start after the service. Okay, let's forget Jesus, because who can acquire, attain that standard? Let's just start with Timothy, immortal. How does my life look against Timothy? Here is a man who is utterly given out to the genuine concern of the welfare of others. Am I genuinely concerned 
for the welfare of each member of this church? I think that's a question we all need to ask ourselves when we look at Timothy. He didn't look out for his own interest. Am I generally in my church community genuinely looking out for the interest of others? I play, I play golf with a couple of the chaps here and they don't know this but I lose deliberately because I'm concerned about the mental welfare of Graham. Seriously. That's why I lose. Don't tell him that. Okay? Okay? Am I genuinely interested, looking out for the interests of others and in the interests of Jesus? And look, let me give you more practically. I've got a few here. Starting with me. Is my preaching about showing off how good a preacher I think I am? Is that why I never stop? Okay? Is it? You've got to ask that question. Does that guy just love the sound of his voice? Well, well, Yvonne, if you had an accent like me, you would. Okay? See, you've got to ask yourself that, haven't you? Then you've got to ask, is my children's work, when I'm speaking to the kids, or when I'm doing junior church, is that about just my passion? It's really just because it's what I love. We're not really thinking about Jesus, or the fact he's serving the church. We know this isn't the case, Sarah. But it's something we have to ask ourselves. Is this just really about what I like to do? Is my giving, financially, we give, and, you know, Sid will give an update fairly soon on our financial status. You know, it's an encouraging one. But is my financial giving about those verses in the Bible that says the more I give, the more I get back? Is that why I'm giving? Because if I give, I get some back. We're not thinking the church needs resources to operate, I'm thinking, hey, I'll get something back. You know, like the televangelists do. Lee, you give $10,000 and God's going to give you 20000 Make sure you do it this afternoon. I'll give you the bank account details later. Okay? And so I'll be sitting there thinking, I want to get twenty k. Let's give my ten. That We can give for those reasons. Is my attending church. About what I can get out of it. Is that why I'm here today? Someone once said to me in a church I pastored, not living with Bible Church. Oh, I'm not going to that meeting because I don't get anything out of it. Is that why we're here? Because I get something out of it. And then if I'm sitting and thinking, Montez is preaching today, I'm not going to get anything out of that. I'll have a sleep in until Roger returns. Yeah, I know I know that's happened in this case. Okay? Why am I here? Heck, let me say this to you. You know, your presence here blesses him. Really? Your presence here blesses her. Really? When we decided whether or not we come to church, maybe on the basis of what it does for others and not on the basis of what I can get out of it for myself. Can you see that's what Timothy showed me? That's what Timothy, Timothy would have come to our service this morning to wind him up. To be there for him. However <laughs> painful that was for him. He would have come. May that be the heart that each one of us has 
Let me just move on to my, that picture, the illustration. Let me just tell you about David. I can t- I'll mention his name. He's from my first church. He won't be listening. I've got to be quick. He won't be listening this morning. I doubt. He's a lovely guy. A little strange. A little strange. But such a lovely spirit of hospitality, towards me at least. So I turn up to his house, and he's got a chair set out, a donut for me, a donut to take home for Naomi. I had to have the biggest one. I had to sit down where he made me a beautiful cup of tea. He was just, just always out to serve me. Once we ran there for a home group, a bunch of us, it was cold, as it always is. I got my duffel coat on, my hat on, my gloves on, my socks on, my wellies on, and everything else I put on. Okay, and we walk him in, and each of us takes our shoes off. And this dear lass who's 90, she had to do it too. She had to bend down too. <laughs> put her shoes deep underneath the stairwell. Bless her, I had to lift it up afterwards. But then he walks us into this living room, and he's got his chairs laid out beautifully, and he guides me, he says, Montaz, come with me. And he sits me down in this centre chair, perfectly set up with a place in my cup, a place in my Bible, a drink and a biscuit. <laughs> and look, it was lovely. He's never done that for me in all the time I've been round to his house. <laughs> okay. I'm coming round this Wednesday, okay? It was lovely. Look, look, I jest, and look, David was a little different, but it, it shows something of his heart. And I'm not saying that because I want you to do that for me, Lee, but can you see? That's the spirit that Paul wants from, in verses 1 to 18. That's the spirit that Timothy has, and I'm going to finish now. That's the spirit that we're to have because that's the spirit that Jesus had, Philippians 2, 6. In those verses, he uses Paul, Jesus as an example, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. That's what I've been saying. I know it's taken me a long time to get there, but be a Timothy. Ask God to transform your heart until you are a Timothy. And serve and put the needs of the church and Jesus first. As I know, look, last thing I'll say, as I know that you do. So just keep doing more of what you're doing. Check your heart. Make sure it doesn't get away from you. And keep serving Jesus. Keep coming. Keep giving for Jesus' sake. For the church's sake. Forgetting about yourself. And as you do, Jesus will take care of your needs too. Because exactly what he says. Seek first the kingdom of God and then all your needs will be met as well. Amen. Amen. We'll say goodbye to any live viewers at this stage. Thank you for joining us. Listening again next week or better still, uh, why don't you come along to a live service at uh, Modbury Special School, Hope Valley, South Australia, Australia, the Southern Hemisphere, Planet Earth, okay, the Milky Way galaxy, galaxy, and there's a bit more, I can't think of the rest, God's universe. God bless you.